Hey, Star Wars fans, this is Ro from the ever-imperial, always sunny Scarif podcast. Recently, it's come to our attention that there's been a security leak here on Scarif Station. I call on all our Imperial agents to be vigilant and to scan the holonet for news and rebel rumblings. I call upon you to access the Jedi Temple Archives podcast for the latest in Star Wars news. Again, this is Ro from the Scarif Podcast, and that's the Scuttlebutt. Welcome to episode 38 of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? Welcome to another episode of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. I'm your host, Rob, and I'm here today with my co-host, Tom, and also a special guest, Casey Lucas, uh, from Lucas Family Travel, who uh, has been down to Walt Disney World Resort and uh, is going to be able to speak to both of our main topics today. So we will get into what those are in just a moment. But uh, first, I want to welcome you guys both on, and thanks for uh, taking time out of your day to be a part of the podcast. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. You know me, Rob, always happy to be on the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad that you're always happy as well. So uh, we can get you back on here. I know it hasn't been a lot lately, but uh, it's not quite the same without you here, Tom. Well, I appreciate you inviting me. And even if it's only for an episode here or an episode there, I, I just enjoy being able to get on here and, and talk Star Wars with you for sure. Well, I gotta, I'm got i going to lean on you a lot more here in the uh, in the upcoming weeks. So I know you got some vacations planned a little bit down the road, but we'll, uh, we'll get back to our regular scheduled uh, podcasting together. But uh, just for anyone who's out there listening, for the record, we are recording this episode on Tuesday, uh, January 7th, 2020. So... We are into the new decade, and uh, we're going to start today off with a conversation of a couple of different rises. Not only is it the rise of 2020, but it has been uh, the opening of both the Rise of the Resistance attraction down at Walt Disney World, and I know that's just on the horizon out at Disneyland as well, uh, which I'm sure Tom is looking forward to having a little bit easier access to, I'm sure. I'm not sure how easy the access is going to be to it, but a little bit easier than me flying cross country. That's for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> and we'll all, we'll all talk about how easy it is to get access to that attraction. I'm sure as part of this, but, uh, and we're also going to be talking about the rise of Skywalker. So with both of these topics, we're not really going to worry too much about spoilers today. Uh, so if you do not want to know about, uh, any details regarding rise of the, uh, resistance or any information about rise of Skywalker, if you're one of the three or four people out there who have not seen it at this point, uh, then you may want to dodge this until you've actually had a chance to experience those both. But for those of you who have either experienced them or are open to uh, getting a little bit more information about them, we're looking forward to bringing that to you today. 
Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, definitely a lot of stuff out there to talk about, and uh, it's exciting. Let's get to it. All right. So, and I know why. I know Casey's ready. He's been talking to me about this for a few weeks. Uh, we actually, all three of us, were down at Walt Disney World Resort um, in the latter half of December. So, uh, I know that Tom, you, and Casey, I think, were both there at pretty much the same time. And uh, as soon as you both wrapped up your vacations, I took on the baton and went down there and braved the Christmas crowds. So, uh, Basically, you know, the, the Rise of the Resistance attraction is really a groundbreaking attraction. Uh, it is a combination of a lot of different things that Disney does incredibly well. There's a lot of uh, magical qualities to it, a lot of things that when you see them, you're really not quite sure how they accomplish them. Uh, they have some incredible uh, both graphics and animatronics. And more importantly, it's that amazing storyline that Disney is always so good about. Um, and it kind of wraps it all up into this wrapper of what they're going for within Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, which is this ultra immersive attraction. Uh, what you know? What were your guys' thoughts kind of going into checking out Rise of the Resistance? I kind of went in with a little bit of temperament, the, the way some things have been opening and that it wasn't at full capacity yet. I, I went in with, uh, with optimism, but nowhere near expecting what it actually was. And even w with Disney, I expect high caliber. This blew everything out of the water that they've ever done. Yeah, I can't. I cannot disagree with that, and we'll get into the detail about why specifically that is. Uh, but I want to hear from Tom first. I know you were really looking forward to this, and you were staying pretty well spoiler free going into it as well, correct, Tom? I was trying as hard as I could. Although there were a lot out there to dodge, especially when you're trying to, you know, host a podcast and getting things out there social media wise. So it's a lot out there to not take in. But I tried, and I was for the most part, successful. There were a couple of things that kind of leaked through that I couldn't avoid, but uh, for the most part, I was able to, to stay away from it. And, you know, the, the thing about this, and we've talked about this on the show before, is that uh, my wife and I, when we were at uh, the Walt Disney World Resort back in June, we did the lunch with an Imagineer, which is a, a, something you can take part in uh, if you book way ahead of time or whatever. And uh, we happened to have, uh, our Imagineer that we had for our lunch was one that was actually working on Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and working on uh, the rise of the resistance. And he told us that day, he's like, look, you know, you, if you like Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Wrong, that's great and everything. This is going to blow your mind completely. So I had already been set up for that this attraction was going to be amazing, spectacular, and it still blew my expectations out of the water. It is so good. Yeah, that that is uh, an understatement. I think I I did not stay away from the spoilers. Um, I kind of after the attraction had opened, I knew it was going to be several weeks before I went down there. And uh, given everything that was going on with the travel planning and everything, I knew I was going to have stuff spoiled. So I figured I'd just kind of dive in head first. And I was certainly amazed when I watched the walkthrough online, but it still did not completely prepare me for how awesome the ride was going to be or the attraction was going to be. Uh, once I got down there, and it really is appropriate to call this an attraction because it's so much more than just the ride. There are numerous pre-show components to this particular attraction, and we'll kind of go through those in order. Uh, but and I know that in talking to you, Tom, that one of the things that you had mentioned was the fact that the one of the incredible things about this attraction is that the cast members really sell the story. Yeah, I mean they're as big a part to this attraction as any 
any single entity to it. I mean, they are in character in their roles, whether it be on the resistance, whether it be in the first order and you buy into it with each and every one of them. Some of the first order cast members are actually a little intimidating. You're afraid to step out of line as you're in the queue sometimes. I was going to say, I actually saw them having to kind of calm down a couple of small children, but uh, Casey, what was your experience with that? Like, Oh, it was great with uh, the first order ones, especially, um, you walk into uh, the Star Destroyer and they give you time, but uh, they they try to, to push you through in a very intimidating way. And being by myself, I decided to, to kind of mess with them a little bit <laughs> and, uh, you know, be, be a little rebelish. And uh, they, they stayed in pure character. It was phenomenal i've got to believe that's one of the best jobs at walt disney world and uh, probably soon to be disneyland as well the fact that they kind of get to bark at at the guests uh that are in line for the attraction a little bit we had a gentleman who was leaning on the wall kind of in the hallways they were dividing us up into our uh into our holding cells or interrogation cells and uh the cast member was all over this particular guest about leaning on the wall get off the wall stand up straight you know and this was a grown man and he immediately just kind of pulled away from the wall and, and was looking around like, did that just happen? So uh, they kind of get to uh, right. say some things that maybe other cast members wish they could say, uh, and then they can play it off as it's all part of the attraction, right? Oh, definitely. I, I actually personally think with that, the pre-shows, as much of an amazing ride as it is, I actually think because of that type of interaction and the elements, the pre-shows for me were actually better than the ride itself. It's funny you, you say that, Casey, because I was thinking the exact same thing. Like, I could go on this thing, and yes, the the ride part of it is fantastic. Uh, you know, you're looking all sorts of different directions all at once, seeing so many different things happen around you. But if you were to tell me I could, you know, oh, I'm sorry, that part of it isn't working today, but you still can go and walk through the rest of the parts of this, because there are so many parts that lead to it. I would still get a yeah. kick out of it because it is really excellently done. Yeah, and to your point, I think I think we probably should should kind of wind back a little bit, and we'll just go through it kind of in its component parts. So uh, certainly, we'll get into the boarding group process uh, actually at the end of this because that is certainly an important thing to understand how one would go about getting access to the attraction right now. But it's kind of a topic all its own. But once you have gotten your boarding group, um, which kind of replaces Fast Pass for this attraction or any kind of a standby line. And you show up, you get, you know, uh, scanned through by the cast members out in the resistance area and walk through a queue, which is uh, amazingly detailed. I mean, there's a lot of cool content and things to see as you walk through the queue. You've got flight suits, you've got helmets. It's clearly, uh, it's kind of carved out of the rock and the caves. Uh, so it's very visually, uh, in, you know, appealing to you. And there's a lot to look at as you're kind of waiting uh, in line for your turn at the attraction. But eventually you get shuffled through into, uh, I guess, a ready room for lack of better description. Um, where you're basically going to get your briefing uh, as a new member of the resistance. And uh, there's some things about that that are very similar to other attractions that I've seen Walt Disney do. But uh, again, this attraction is bringing together all the best parts of those attractions and then kind of adding the storyline, which is really what takes it to the next level. So you've got BB-8 kind of up on a raised platform. It's very... Um, very reminiscent to me of kind of like the Rocket Raccoon uh, with mm -hmm. the um, the Tower of Terror slash uh, Guardians of the Galaxy attraction out there at Disneyland Park now. Um, 
but you know bb8 uh kind of uh, is kind of rolling back and forth and kind of keeps you visually queued up and then all of a sudden you're told to stand by for an incoming transmission from ray and her message to you plays like this incoming transmission from ray So once you get your mission briefing from Ray, you know, she's welcoming you to the resistance. Uh, she then turns you over to uh, both Lieutenant Beck, uh, Poe Dameron, and I believe uh, there's Nine Nub as well, uh, who was kind of Lando's co-pilot from the uh, the Return of the Jedi when they were making the attack on Death Star 2. But one thing about the performances that were given by both Daisy Ridley and Oscar Isaac in this particular scene they feel like they are right out of the films. They totally sell the fact that, that this is all real, you're in the middle of this, and you don't really question it. And that's to say nothing about how incredible the hologram of Ray is. Oh, yeah, that that hologram of Ray is unbelievable. But it, it, this is the, the first part where it really makes you feel like you're yourself going into a Star Wars movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I, throughout this entire attraction, um, my mouth was, I think I was catching flies because my mouth was wide open the first time going through it, through the whole thing. And it started pretty much when that uh, hologram appears because it, it's spectacular looking. It looks extremely real. It looks like it's right out of Star Wars. And it's exactly what you're hoping for since, you know, since 1977, once you first saw the hologram of of Princess Leia, you know, uh, and and Luke and and Obi Wan, and it, it it's there right in front of you, and it's just spectacular. What what blows my mind about it is that it is something that I still don't fully understand how they accomplished, but you don't question it. It is so, it it is done so effortlessly that you just take for granted that this is just something that you would normally see. And I'm, I was looking, I didn't see any mirrors. There was, I still can't wrap my head around exactly how they accomplished that. And like you said, it is an, it's a substantial hologram. It is uh, incredibly detailed, incredibly lifelike, and it is very large as well. Yeah. Very 3D too. Like you, you would kind of expect with some of the budget cuts they had to do that it wouldn't be that detailed, but it, it's, it's literally like, in essence, a force ghost coloring. Well, same hologram coloring as uh, Leia with R2 and just 3D like she's right there in front of you. 
I've actually, it's interesting that you mentioned the Force Ghost or the Blue Glowies, as I always like to call them, too much to Tom's amusement. But um, I had read an article uh, that had come out a while ago where they were talking about this technology that they had patented to do these holograms. And one of the potential uses for it was to do kind of a Force Ghost effect. And I wonder if that may play into uh, some plans that they've got for the Star Wars Hotel, um, the Galactic Star Cruiser that's going to be coming here in the next year or so. Uh, it would be really interesting if they kind of employ that there uh, for some of the, you know, kind of uh, missions that you can run while you're a guest at that particular hotel. Oh, definitely. I, I have a feeling that's one of the main features there is uh, it's going to be very personalized with uh, holograms like that that really make you feel like you're there. Yeah. Yeah, there's going to be, from what we understood from watching some of the footage at the D23 Expo, uh, there's going to be some parts where you're going to get to train, uh, lightsaber training, essentially. And it wouldn't shock me if there's someone like Ray pops up to uh, kind of, you know, teach you a little bit about how to use your lightsaber while you're there. That, that, that would not surprise me at all if that's included in that uh, Galactic Star Cruiser experience. They really are going to get all my money. I can see it happening. I know, right? Oh. <laughs> Um, so once, once you kind of move on from the initial pre-flight briefing, that is really where the cast members start to shine. Uh, the, there's a set of doors that open. You're basically told by Ray that you're going to leave Batu. that, you know, the, the first order is on to you. You have to leave uh, Batu and go to a planet called Pakara, uh, to meet up with the resistance and these blast doors open and you have got cast members in their full resistance attire, uh, kind of escorting you out to the shuttle. Uh, you've got a, a X-wing from uh, Poe Dameron, kind of his black X-wing uh, that you remember from Force Awakens. Interestingly enough, they said this is kind of set between Last Jedi and the Rise of Skywalker. And at that point, that particular X-wing had been destroyed in the hangar uh, <laughs> for the Last Jedi. So I'm not quite sure kind of how that folded into it. But you really don't question that that much. Um, but uh, just you know, just the act of moving from the the first kind of showroom uh, onto the transport that's going to then take you off planet, uh, you catch yourself almost wanting to run. The the cast members are kind of encouraging you to hurry up and board the shuttle, and and at least for me, it was kind of hard to hold myself back from just taking off from uh, my wife and son. Uh, this is the first part where I just broke down in tears of joy. <laughs> Because it is the way they're they're yelling at you to, to get on the shuttle and and get it get it going. It you are in a Star Wars movie at this point. You look to the side, you see BB-8 in the X-wing. This is what the immersive environment truly is. Is this is the first step of it, and it's just amazing. Yeah, you could have said it better there, Casey. Yeah, it is that you are in the Star Wars story at that point. You've just been given your mission by this amazing hologram and this amazing animatronic with BB-8 there. Uh, then, you know, the door opens. You're rushed there by uh, some resistance fighters as well. It rushed off to the shuttle. It looks very real in front of you, along with the X-Wing next to you. And, yeah, you buy into it. And I don't blame you, Rob, for wanting to run because I was the same way. It, it, it's, it's just – it's. I know I'm just gushing over this thing, but it's incredible. Yeah, I'm actually a little surprised. I had to temper myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I felt like I wasn't the only one. I mean, I actually saw people pick up the pace, but uh, it also wouldn't have surprised me if they had had this attraction sponsored by Kleenex and, you know, like Nike maybe. Right. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> it would have been all too appropriate. But uh, so once you get on board the shuttle, they actually have a, a pretty cool uh, Mon Calamari pilot named Lieutenant Beck, kind of is your mission leader. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, you can see Nine Nub up in the front, uh, kind of piloting the craft, the shuttlecraft, and you get incoming transmissions from. Uh, Poe Dameron and kind of your X-Wing support squadron that you can see out some of the portholes that they have on the shuttlecraft. I don't know about about you guys where you wrote it. Um, I kind of went to the back knowing that there was that rear-facing view screen slash window that they had, um, and I could still kind of see over everyone up in front uh, to catch what was going on with the animatronic and everything. Um, but it, it also kind of gave me the additional benefit of seeing how everyone was reacting to the space that we were in because... I don't know if people really expected that it was going to be kind of like a simulator. When you lift off from Batu and are taking off, you can feel the ship kind of rumbling underneath you. And, and it just, it as Casey said, it's just another indication of the fact that they sell this from the beginning to the end is you're really there. Oh, definitely. I, myself, I stood in the front just because I wanted to see how, be as close to the animatronic as I could and see how detailed it was. Yeah, we were we were nearer the front too, but I, I tend to do that because uh, if you know me and you know my <laughs> wife Michelle, she is a little vertically challenged. So if you push her towards the back, she might not see what's up front. So we wanted to be able to see that animatronic and of course the screens and everything else that was going on around us when we were on the ship. Now, when you guys wrote it the first time. Were you prepared? I, uh, for me, I had kind of seen a little bit of what was to come, so I knew what was going to happen when the shuttle actually got captured by the Star Destroyer. Um, but standing in the back of the shuttle, I got a chance to watch everyone, and everyone assumed that what was going to happen, so as you climb aboard the shuttle, you're kind of getting in on the starboard side or the right side of the shuttle, and everyone was expecting that we were going to get off on the opposite side where it was just kind of a stationary shuttle and it was essentially a pass through into the Star Destroyer. So everyone crowded to the left-hand door and then the one that they originally came in opened into the hangar bay and people were just floored. Yeah, I was not expecting that at all. I was expecting it to be you went in on one side, you went out on the other because that's just the door to the showroom but they're going to make it look awesome to be able to do that was breathtaking yeah I, I went in there with actually no i think i was just so immersed in what was happening around me that i never even really thought about it i know that i go into many attractions through uh walt disney world and disneyland and i kind of know you know i've been there enough i know where the door is going to open right. if you're going to go and queue into uh whatever your car or whatever the case may be uh this i had no kind of expectation i was just in for the ride i wanted to experience the whole thing i was watching the animatronics i was watching the video screens i was watching what was taking place uh feeling the lift off and everything that happened i mean i i read enough going into it that i knew you know you were going to get captured by the first order essentially so i was prepared for that but as far as where we were going to go next i had no clue and i i, I think i enjoyed it that much more because everything was just i was i was totally involved in it yeah, and it's certainly, I mean, it's its a spectacle regardless whether you know what's coming or not, but I can certainly see, uh, especially if you dodge the whole hangar bay um, to a certain extent, you know, kind of with spoilers and whatnot, uh, that that scene, I mean, that is one of the largest spaces you'll ever walk into in any theme park uh, for a fully themed attraction um, kind of space there. Uh, and even looking out through the, 
the magnetic seal on the entrance to the to the hangar bay uh, and looking out into the stars. I mean, you got a star destroyer floating around out there. You can hear the sounds of Tie fighters going screaming by, um, and then they've got fifty uh, first order stormtroopers in that space as well, including a full life size Tie fighter, uh, kind of up on the rack as we see it in the Force Awakens. So uh, it was an incredible scene. I knew what it was going to be and I was still stunned when I walked into it the first time. Oh, exactly. It was, it was smaller than I thought it would be because you, you heard rumors going into it that there was going to be a, a room itself bigger than the entire Pirates of the Caribbean show building. So I was expecting it to be a lot bigger than it was. That being said, it had just the same impact as if it would have been that big. Because it was just amazing to see so many stormtroopers. You have the the field back there that is all types of ships flying by in a, a dogfight. It's just a, a, was amazing. This was one of the portions that I had, had seen pictures of going into it. I mean, they'd advertised it. You know, you really couldn't avoid right. this section of uh, the attraction going through mm-hmm. uh, as you led into it. So I was prepared for. But that being said, I was not prepared at all because you walked out of there and it's just it's breathtaking to to see the the uh, outer space out there, to see the Star Destroyer, to see all these stormtroopers, to look up. And, and there's this. Yes. Like you said, Rob, life size TIE fighter right there. It's it, it's and you're not in there for long enough to really take it all in. But it's amazing when you're in there just that time being. And I just everybody gets so silent because they're just looking at everything in amazing by how fantastic it is. It, it's really wonderful. And this is another point where the, the cast members are just phenomenal because you, you get there and they're just enjoy the might of the First Order and take it take in the might of the First Order. And it's mm-hmm. just, wow. Because you're right, it's a full-size TIE fighter. And all these stormtroopers, it, it's just amazing to see. And... Again, you're you're living Star Wars at this point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, and it feels it feels totally like you are. And to your point earlier, I mean, uh, we don't get to stay in that space very long. You do get a chance to get some photos and and to kind of give it a once over. But they're clearly on a timetable. They know they have additional groups coming through the attraction, and they want to keep things moving. But it's just the perfect setup to have them playing the role of these first order officers and kind of you know brusquely moving you into the next portion of the attraction uh in a way that's just totally within the story oh definitely the only thing that i I kind of wish from this and it may be something that they do down the line is there's all these animatronic stormtroopers i kind of wish that they would just have one or two actual stormtroopers that just step out that's literally the only thing that I could pick out of this ride that I would go, that would make it a lot better. I have actually been reading that they have done that more recently, that they've got a couple of stormtroopers that will be within that scene that, um, that are actual, uh, cast members or members of, uh, the 501st or whoever they have staffing that attraction. Um, I'm sure it's not 501st members, but you know, they've got, they've got their, <laughs> yeah, they've got their, uh, they've got their stormtrooper core, um, that they use for other, 
other things within the parks, either the the guys doing the walkbys within Galaxy's Edge or whatever. Uh, so they have actually been starting to incorporate that in, and and some of them are just completely stationary. Some of them are animatronics with very light amounts of motion. Um, and I know that as we get into the next part of the ride, where you kind of uh, are taken to where you're divided up into groups to be put in your holding cells uh, pending uh, General Hux and Kylo Ren coming to interrogate you. Um, that there's a couple of additional stormtroopers at that point that are also animatronics with some motion. Uh, but like you said, I mean, I think the more life-like motion that they have within this attraction, it's just going to sell it even more. Oh, definitely. All right. So uh, as I said, I mean, really what they do once they funnel you out of that hangar bay is you get moved into, it's kind of a, an L-shaped hallway, and they they line people up in both directions. Now, I got a chance to ride this twice um, via a minor miracle. And both times we were taken the same direction. And I think both times they put us in the same holding cell. So I didn't get a lot of variety there, but, uh, once again, I mean, like I said, they are on top of you. There's kids pushing buttons. They're barked at to stop doing that. You've got adults leaning against the wall. They're called out for that. And they very quickly and, and, uh, you know, in a very military fashion, divide you up and move you into these holding cells. Uh, and God forbid that you, screw up and, and don't stand on the color that they ask you to. I don't know if you guys had seen anyone kind of get called out for that. I, I, I kind of purposely, cause I was like, I was by myself with it. I, I'm like, I, I just want to see what they do. So I was kind of not following orders. And uh, it, it was pretty funny how they were reacting and, and staying so in character and just using the, the, the force of the first order to get you in line. Yeah. I didn't have any witnesses of anybody uh, truly stepping out of line. I think uh, we were in a group that was pretty much just going to do whatever they said <laughs> at this point. Uh, the only thing they did say was that we had uh, one gentleman behind us who was wearing, it was a, it was a pretty chilly morning when we were there. Uh, and so he had kind of one of those, uh, it looks like a Wookiee kind of snow cap or whatever. Oh, yeah. It looks like, you know, and, and he's like, Oh, you know, you must be pretty fierce warrior to take that off of, you know, of some, you know, Wookiee, we're going to keep your eye on you or whatever, you know? And it was just, it was, it was just pretty interesting little conversation between the two of them. And it was uh, just totally within, totally within the world. And you, you know, it's interesting because it fills the time while you're just, you're waiting for your spot to, you know, again, a lot of this is just cue, you know, but it's, and it's you don't amazing. You're in the queue. <laughs> right. You're in the story still when you, where you're queuing up, it's, it's, it's spectacular. And and it is definitely, the entertainment value is there. We actually had uh, one of the guests in our group who was told to stand on silver and they stepped onto orange and uh, the first order officer was like, I'm sorry, do you not understand what colors are? Is this the best the resistance can throw up against us? <laughs> so uh, it was pretty great. They they were fairly dismissive of, of that particular guest and uh, it was all taken in good humor. But uh, they then march you into your holding cell, which is kind of an intimidating space on its own. It's kind of shaped like a, a an elongated arrow. So toward the back of the room, it gets very narrow and they kind of encourage you to, to, to move to the back. Um, so you can feel fairly confined if you, if you get caught back there, but, uh, you're then treated to, um, the, the first appearance of General Hux and then shortly thereafter, Kylo Ren kind of on a raised platform just over the door. Um, and it looks like it's, it's pretty much for sure video screen. Um, but it still is fairly realistic and, and, uh, it worked pretty well for me at least, uh, within that portion of the attraction. 
I had to do a double take to go, or, or, is that video or is that animatronic? Right. And w- with Hux specifically, I was doing a double take. And, and then once Kyle comes in, you realize it's video. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're up there looking through basically what would be a prison grate, essentially. So there's kind of like some uh, pseudo bars up there. So that kind of, you know, it all plays into the illusion of where you are. And, it, you know, I, I, I can't keep saying how great it is. But, you, you know, again, it just follows the storyline. And again, another part of the queue, but still fantastic. Was anyone else looking for trash shoots in the hallway when you were living? <laughs> I was, yes. <laughs> So, uh, you know, at this point, you know, uh, you get you get Hux, you get Kylo Ren. They're then called off to address something on the bridge and you're left with your fellow prisoners. But pretty quickly thereafter, uh, there is a escape that is staged by the fellow resistance members that are aboard the ship. And, and you actually get to see Finn in his stormtrooper outfit. Uh, earlier within one of the pre-show uh, portions of of the attraction where he's talking about the fact that he's on board one of the Star Destroyers. And um, so you get these resistance members that that basically cut through one of the prison walls and uh, through that gap then usher you into the ride vehicles. And that's really the first chance you get to check out these trackless ride vehicles. Now, Tom, I know you've been to Disneyland Paris and have probably ridden the Ratatouille adventure there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, for most people, this is really the first trackless ride system that we're really being treated to within any of the U.S. Disney parks, I believe. Yeah, the other one that I can think of is, uh, it's uh, what is it, Luigi's Rollickin' Roadsters out oh, at yeah. uh, Disney California Adventure Park, which is also a track uh, trackless attraction. Uh, but it is obviously very different from both uh, the Ratatouille ride and uh, and uh, Rise of the Resistance. But uh, uh, amazing technology and definitely I, 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 where I see the future of uh, these rides going. Yeah. And just to step back a second here too, when you're going in into there, when I went into the the uh, interrogation room, I, I was looking for a door. Mm-hmm. I-, I couldn't see a door when I was walking in there. I don't know if you guys were trying to look and notice, but I myself couldn't see it. I, I was looking, and I knew I knew it was on one of the walls. I wasn't sure exactly where, but. Um, and the, and, and the way that they expose that door, you kind of see, um, a lasers cutting through the wall. Uh, it reminded me a lot of some of the, um, kind of, uh, pixie dust or some of the magic they employ with, I think it's the enchanted tales with bell attraction at Walt Disney world, where there's a mirror that you're looking into. And then that mirror turns into a doorway. And it seemed very similar to that, but it, it you, like you said, I mean, you can't find the seams for the door cause they're kind of hidden behind the edges of, of some of the wall panels. Um, but when that pulls back and the resistance member comes through and says, you know, we're here to rescue you, uh, and ushers you into the ride vehicles. It's another one of those things where you want to quickly kind of, you feel yourself wanting to run to the vehicle, uh, just because oh, they're yeah. selling it so well, it, it's another part of the that uh, of the attraction that I was glad I stayed mostly spoiler free because I, I again I I knew most of the storyline I knew eventually we were going to be saved uh, by someone from the the uh, resistance and and you know pushed into these carts and and you know and then there was to be the wild rush out of there, uh, but I didn't know how it was going to go about and so you know having it be cut through rather than like you know it being intercepted and the door opens or whatever was another added experience to it that was just. I found really cool. And again, like I said, happy I was spoiler free on that regard. Again, I knew what was coming. It still didn't take anything away from it. Um, 
they do pretty quickly move you into these ride vehicles. And again, this was really, uh, and I and I had ridden the Luigi's Relicking uh, Roadsters when I was out at Disneyland over Halloween. I guess I didn't realize at the, at the time that they were trackless. I probably should have. But um, as you said, I mean, it's a completely different attraction. This, you're kind of free roaming through this entire attraction building uh, and for the intents and purposes of this attraction, it's it's the hallways of this uh, incredible Star Destroyer, the First Order Star Destroyer that you're on. Um, and it's just really cool to see because you kind of experience this with two carfuls of, um, of resistance recruits that are basically escaping together. And given how you pull into a room and then back out of a room and, and uh, you can be in the front one time and in the back the next time, and it's just so cool to experience a ride vehicle that, moves as freely as these do definitely because you really have no idea where you're going yeah that's i mean that's a completely right i mean many attractions you know there's the track there so okay this is where we're going next or you know we maybe even okay we got to backtrack on this because no track going forward so okay when well, we must back up or something but you don't have any idea you, you know there's starts there's stops there's move left move right there's drops it's it's all over the place yeah. Uh, and so, you know, as you kind of go through the hallways and escape the Star Destroyer, there's a number of scenes that you go through. Um, there's initially supposed to be some elevator shafts that you're turbo lift shafts that you're going to ride the cars into and uh, kind of get down to the hangar bay where you're going to be able to escape. That gets cut off by a fairly cool looking uh, first order probe droid. I don't know that we've really seen one of those in any of the films up to this point. Yeah, and I, I only saw him the one time. You were lucky enough to ride it twice, and it was just kind of like, oh, wow, you know, there's this probe droid here. I need to take a look at him again and, and really study it. But uh, it was, you know, again, another aspect that you've known from Star Wars for many years that it was just cool to see. Oh, definitely. It's And everything happens so quickly that you don't have the time to actually take a look at it and see. I kind of envy some of the people who – we're on it on the first day when it broke down and they had to walk through it <laughs> to exit. <laughs> I, I, uh, it sounds like they've had a few instances where, you know, there's been some, some ride shutdowns. And I know that kind of over the time that I was there, it was getting to the point where they were regularly getting up into the high hundreds, um, sometimes into the low two hundreds in terms of boarding groups. So I, it just seemed like it was getting more and more, uh, reliable kind of as time went on. I know you guys wrote it a lot closer to when it was originally opened up. Did did you guys have a lot of issues with groups uh, getting pulled off the ride or anything like that? Myself, I, I the, the line just stopped a few times, um, but it wasn't that bad. Um, I, I went very early in the morning, though. I think I was off off of it by 8.30. No, yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, it, it did stop a few times where everything else it seemed to be very solid moving like you, you didn't even realize you were in a line because you're going through the resistance base here and and looking at all the details and constantly moving and then there were a few times that it just stopped and i was kind of getting scared when it did but it, it got back up at maybe five ten minutes it stopped at most uh i think twice nice yeah, I, we ran into no problems at all. Ours was ran perfectly the day we were on it, as far as I know, anyway. Uh, but, you know, it's it, understandable why this thing could run into problems. There's so many different systems at work that kind of need to talk to 
to one another or that need to function as well as possible. And uh, because there are so many different levels to this, you could see why there could be some issues of uh, being a delay to reboot a portion of the attraction or whatever the case may be. Uh, but again, we, we were lucky, you know, and, and not saying that it seems like you, like you said, Rob, it's becoming more and more reliable or they're getting used to making sure how this functions correctly, how all these systems can talk to one another correctly, because it seems to be working better most of the time. But we, again, we were, uh, blessed to have a, a very smooth experience. Yeah, I've heard that there were 5 million lines of code uh, that were needed to kind of coordinate all the systems that they've got in here. So it's not surprising that that they're going to run into some issues. I will tell you that we did on, on the first time through, uh, we did experience two things that were not working as per, you know, what I was familiar with as, you know, the A mode of the attraction. Uh, the Kylo Ren animatronic on the bridge did not turn and kind of look at those of us in the, in the vehicles the way he was supposed to. And then one of the later scenes uh, where there's another Kylo Ren animatronic um, that uh, eventually ends up having kind of a, a blast shield come down in front of him. Uh, that shield was down when we came into the room, uh, but they had B modes for both. Both of those where, you know, again, if, if you're not exactly sure what is supposed to happen, you would never know that there was an issue, uh, especially in that latter one. There's a space battle raging outside and Ty, uh, Kylo Ren shows up kind of outside the view screen uh, in his TIE Interceptor and is basically threatening to, to take you out that way. So it was kind of cool to see that they did have some redundancy built in for some of these scenes that wasn't really going to majorly detract from your enjoyment of the ride, especially if you didn't know what was supposed to happen. Definitely. I think one of the, the blessings for you is um, that, that special pass you ended up getting uh, at the last minute there. So you, you ended up getting to see both versions and right. really take everything in with it. Yeah, for sure. Um I think one of the, the main things with with it opening is normally when an attraction of this magnitude opens, there's soft openings and there's annual pass previews and there's cast member, member previews. This didn't have anything because they were down to the wire of getting it ready by the date they set. Yeah. I blacked out there for a second. No. <laughs> <laughs> It happens once per show. Tom will tell you all about it. Yeah. <laughs> no. Makes it in post. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Thank God for post-production. But no, I, I completely agree. I mean, really, I was shocked earlier this year when they announced that they were going to start opening the land far earlier than we were originally expected. Uh, and it made sense that they were going to kind of go to this this two-stage approach. Um, Tom and I have talked ad nauseum in previous episodes about people saying Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is a failure. Um, if it's a failure, I saw God knows how many droids, lightsabers, uh, and other forms of merchandise. I mean, I wanted to get a legacy lightsaber hilt on this trip, and of course it was out of stock. So they seem to be doing just fine to me. Um, I was impressed that even over Christmas that the the land had not closed for capacity uh, where you needed a boarding group to enter Galaxy's Edge. It was certainly crowded, but uh, it seems to be able to handle pumping through a large number of people, so that certainly speaks well to what they've done there. Oh, definitely. I, I, I don't think at all it's a failure. It's, it's an absolutely amazing experience all around. In Disneyland, I think they over uh, had higher expectations, uh, and people got scared. Um, with Disney World, they opened in the slow season. There was a hurricane hitting literally opening day. Right. So 
you're going to see low crowds at that point. Uh, it's it's going to take time for anything to, to even out. And there were people that were holding off until Rise of the Resistance opened to be able to go down it. Because it is an expensive trip to go. Yeah, absolutely. People wanted to make sure everything was open before they actually went. Yeah. As far as Disneyland, uh, you know, I have personal experience being out here on the West Coast, and I was actually out there on opening weekend for when Star Wars Galaxy's Edge opened up. And uh, the thing that I saw was that I, uh, Disney was they overly cautious about the situation. You know, they 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 cut out a lot of annual passes, more blackout dates. They raised the price. They did a lot of stuff to try and prepare to keep the crowd so people could have an enjoyable time at the rest of the park and still see this increase, what they expected to be an increase of a, uh, attendance uh, to Galaxy's Edge. Uh, however, because of all that, and because I think people were afraid that there were going to be huge crowds and whatever the case may be, and like you said, Casey, uh, the fact that there were some people who were just waiting until it was a full uh, land. Uh, I think that's where they ran into their problems to begin with. But I've said this from the beginning. Anybody who says that that Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is a failure is either one, not been there, or two, is not a Star Wars fan. Because as a Star Wars fan who has been there, it's it's breathtaking it's to take hold. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely is. And it doesn't matter if it's one attraction or two attractions. Uh, it is an amazing world to walk into. Well, and I and I think it bears noting that it's even bigger than that because I have seen, uh, we follow the Tim Tracker uh, on YouTube. That's kind of one of the things we watch just for fun to keep track of what's going on at Walt Disney World. They are not Star Wars fans. They're, they've stated in the past that they're not huge Star Wars fans. His favorite attraction is Rise of the Resistance. Uh, and I've heard a number of, of stories from people who took parents or friends into the land that were not big Star Wars fans, and they wanted to stand there because it was just so stunningly immersive and there was so much detail and it was so incredible. So, I mean, certainly for Star Wars fans, it's going to be a place that you want to visit. But even for people who have not been lifelong Star Wars fans, uh, it, it has a huge appeal to everybody just based on the amount of detail and how much they have made it feel like you're truly there. Oh, definitely. I've, I know people who have gone to, everyone knows me that I'm obsessed with star Wars and have such a passion for this. And, um, I, I know people who have gone who they like star Wars, but they're not like me or are completely obsessed with it. And like we are, but, um, they absolutely loved it because yeah. it is just so immersive all around it. And so like being there that it doesn't matter what the, the theming is to have such an immersive land. It, it's why Avatar does so well as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and certainly Star Wars as a, as a franchise, you know, blows uh, Avatar out of the water. I keep hearing that we're going to get more Avatar movies, but uh, until that happens, you know, it's it's really uh, Avatar Land Pandora at, at uh, Animal Kingdom Park is definitely an experience and a place to go check out. Uh, but for me, Star Wars is where I've been, you know, ever since I was a small child and uh, it's what I have always, it's that dream of wanting to live in that world or, or to be able to experience something in that world. And it's finally here. So, um, you know, kind of getting back to the, to the attraction, really, when you get into the second half of the attraction, that's when you do get to see some, uh, some more of the animatronics that it has to offer, uh, as well as some more, uh, visual, uh, scenery that they have worked in. That's pretty incredible. 
Um, the first, uh, probably the biggest thing that people are going to be familiar with is the fact that your uh, attraction vehicle is going to roll into a hangar where there are two enormous full-size at-ats housed. And uh, again, that was that was an, an experience that you just can't explain to someone. You really have to experience it. Oh, it, when you say full-size, they are literally full-size at-ats. It's just breathtaking to see that i've been obsessed with that my entire life i have uh, uh for christmas have an inflatable at at reindeer outside my house <laughs> it's but to to go in there and see them and have them shooting at you is just like um, so amazing and, and just so realistic because you actually think the at are shooting at you because they've done such a good job with the lasers too that you don't think they're just lights yeah and and they're actually making uh kind of holes in the in the deck plating and and the walls and such uh that you can see kind of as you're rolling away from those scenes it probably bears noting that there's two different tracks that you can go on um for that at at experience as well you kind of the cars divide up one ends up kind of in front of the head of the at at uh and you've got some at at you know, drivers kind of that you see through the window and then the other car at both times that I was on the attraction I ended up on the in the car that when it went up the lift I was kind of looking at the side of the at at um, and you get fired upon by a stormtrooper that's uh, that's kind of in the cargo area um, or the troop carrier area of that particular uh, vehicle so um, you can you can ride it multiple times and get a little bit of a different experience which is cool Oh, definitely. Myself, I had the uh, the AT-AT drivers there that, that were Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, I had the exact same one. But that is one of the great perks with it is that they, they've they made it so that it is a little bit of a different experience every time so that you do want to go back on it again and again and again. If only they made that more doable for people. But uh, <laughs> we'll, in time, <laughs> we'll get to that when we talk about the boarding groups. But uh, yeah, so then uh, from that point, I believe the next stop is both vehicles kind of approach the bridge from opposite sides. And you're kind of down in it's it's kind of like a crew pit area uh, looking up at Kylo Ren and General Hux as Kylo tells him to engage the shields. And of course, Hux is uh, is questioning him. And that's when the resistance fleet comes in. Uh, and really starts the battle against the First Order uh, to kind of provide you some cover to escape from that particular Star Destroyer. Now this, for me, this is where the first time we were in there, uh, what's supposed to happen is there's an exchange between Hux and Kylo, and then Kylo turns around and sees the cards there, and uh, and then you kind of are escaping from him, but uh, that animatronic was not was not moving. And I don't know. I may be in the minority here. The animatronic that they are using for most of this attraction, I was a little surprised they weren't smoother. They kind of seemed jerkier to me uh, than I was expecting, given that it's supposed to be the same animatronics that they used for like the Hondo Onaka character on Smuggler's Run. Um, but did you guys have that experience? Were they jerky for you or were they fairly smooth? They seemed fairly smooth for me. Um, the second Kylo was a, a little jerky. Not this one, the, the next one that's going right. to happen in a, a few seconds there. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked at him and I could tell right off the bat, okay, these are, you know, as opposed to some of the video screens that we saw, these are actually audio animatronics. And you could tell right off the bat they were a little clunky and fairly obvious. It didn't take away from what was happening to me at all. But I also think, you know, when you put into it, when, you, when, you, when you're programming Honda 
Onaka for uh, William Falcon Smuggler's run. I mean, that's show. You need to have him be working as smoothly as possible. You want him to look fantastic. You want to completely buy into it. Not that you don't need to buy into it with Kylo Ren, but I can see where, uh, look, there's so much else going on that we don't need to, maybe if we can simplify the code for making this one work a little better, uh, to make sure it's functioning more often, although unfortunately for you, Rob, it looks like it didn't work all the time. Uh, <laughs> that at least you know, at least it's working more often than not because right. it's going to be a flash. You're going to see him for a little bit and then move on to the next amazing thing. No, I think that's an oh, excellent exactly. point. That it's that it's not as big a show component as the Honda Onaka, and if it is the same animatronic, it's the 1000 series. Um, then it has the capacity to move more smoothly. It may just be something where they need to. Uh, brush up on how that's uh, how that code is written, um, and they could improve it kind of down the road once they get the attraction operating at the uh, at the capacity that they want it to. Yeah, that yeah, wouldn't I surprise think that me there at all. Be a lot of adjustments. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I would not be shocked. So uh, the the next kind of uh, cool visual thing that you get is as you're escaping from the bridge, um, the carts again divide up, and you end up in an elevator that's going to kind of take you down to the hangar deck. Uh, but as you're in backing into the elevator, and as the doors are getting prepared to close, there's like a uh, a shaft ahead of you, and Kylo Ren drops down, ignites his lightsaber, and starts moving toward the elevator. Um, and I know that there were a few gasps from the groups that I was with, uh, when that happened, it looks very lifelike. Um, and it's very intimidating when it happens. Oh, definitely. This is one of the, the pieces that I knew was coming. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, because it happens so quick, you don't know when it's coming. So it is a, a little startling when it actually happens. Right. And then that kind of feeds into uh, something that we had seen. I, Tom, I, I believe that they had released the kind of full trailer for Rise of the Resistance when you guys were at D23. Was that about, about the time? Uh, full trail. Yeah, yeah. They, we saw much of it, and I think I know what you're alluding to here. We did see this portion of right. it at uh, the D23 Expo, and uh, that was like that was a wow. Believe me, that was totally a wow. <laughs> right. So uh, yeah, as you're escaping in this car, uh, all of a sudden, uh, through the ceiling bursts this red lightsaber blade and starts kind of cutting open. Uh, a portion of the of the ride. It was interesting. I I'd, I saw a few people in the vehicles that were so shell shocked at this point from all the stuff that had been thrown at them that they were slow to recognize that there was a lightsaber blade coming through the ceiling. Um, but I, I thought it was an incredibly uh, impressive. You know, it wasn't quite as uh, as fully realized as what you saw in the in the trailer. Certainly, they no, had, had dressed it up. The, pro the promos you'll see uh, it looks much more like the realistic. Yeah, the Kylo spitting Ren's sparks. Right? It's not quite that realistic, <laughs> but still pretty cool. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I, what were you guys thinking when when that happened? I mean, I, I knew it was coming at some point, so it, it didn't shock me that much. Um, there was just so much going on in the ride that. Yeah. It is kind of hard to take it all in in one shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. And again, yeah. I, I wish they had made it easier to get multiple experiences on there. Right. But yeah, well, I saw in I, that was another thing. Again, I was trying to stay spoiler free, but, you know, having seen that scene at the D23 Expo and, you know, seeing it, and I, I was expecting that to happen at some point. You never know what's in a trailer, you know, in, in movies and attractions and what's going to be really there. But, you know, the fact that they were selling it made me believe it was going to be there. I wanted to see how they pulled it off. And I, I thought it was really cool. Uh, I, I can't blame other people for not noticing it right away because there's just so much to look at through this attraction. I mean, there's, 
it's all around you. You, you, you can look at a different direction when you're on it and see different things. I have, I have a feeling I'm, I'm just assuming I've only done it once, Rob, you'd be able to speak to this better. But if you look a different way than when you looked maybe the first time you wrote it, you may catch a, a ton of different detail work. And I, I, it doesn't surprise me that there were some people that didn't either know that was coming or when it did happen, uh, actually catch it right off the bat. Yeah. I mean, I, I would agree. I, especially with the way the, the trackless ride vehicles move, because at any point in time, it could shift direction or back up or, so you're constantly trying to figure out where you're going next. Um, and if you turn your head at the wrong time, you can certainly miss something or maybe see something, uh, that no one else in the vehicle is going to see. So, um, I, I think it, it goes a long way toward long-term enjoyment of the ride for people who are going to, you know, make multiple visits to the park and, and visit, uh, specifically looking to really experience that attraction to its fullest. I, I can see the re-rideability of that attraction being very high for people uh, for a long time to come. Oh, without a doubt. So from that point, we move through a portion of the attraction where you are basically on the outer wall of the Star Destroyer and you have to kind of go past a number of turbo lasers that are firing out into the space battle. Uh, and to your right, you have all of these viewports out onto the space battle itself uh, with these large cannons kind of moving forward and backwards as they fire to your left. So that's very impressive. And then from there, uh, we kind of move into our final room of the attraction, at least aboard the Star Destroyer. And as we mentioned before, this is kind of where you get your second look at Kylo Ren. This was certainly for me the jerkier of the two animatronics. That being said, uh, you've got these huge viewports on the wall that you can see the the battle raging outside the Star Destroyer. You've got the Kylo Ren animatronic. It's not a super long scene. So again, it's not something where they probably poured a ton of effort uh, into, you know, making it as smooth as possible. But it, it you know, it's, it's another stunning visual uh, within this particular attraction. Yeah, I mean, um, with what you experienced on the two rides, to be able to have the the difference there when Kylo goes down and, and have the, the battle raging regardless, and then to have uh, Kylo either attacking you from the outside, uh, all uh, Last Jedi, right. or right there about to attack you with his lightsaber, is it, it's an incredible experience again, just because you don't know what's coming. <laughs> and I think it's smart that, they, like I said, I think it's smart that they've got a B mode for some of these things because, as we know, it's they're going to have some technical difficulties. And the fact that they don't have to shut the attraction down, I mean, there's probably going to be some people that are happy to see the B mode uh, just for a change of pace. So, Tom, were, was your head completely exploding by this point or uh imagine with really not a lot known about the attraction going in you had to be pretty close to overload at this point uh it was just it was incredible from start to finish throughout the whole thing um like i said my mouth was open the whole time because everything was just such a wow I, I wouldn't shock me if i swallowed like three flies while i was in there because it was it everything was everything was all what i dreamed of since i was a eight-year-old kid watching the original Star Wars and then moving on. And you were talked about the AT-ATs a little bit ago and Empire Strikes Back, you know, who wasn't taken aback the first time they saw the AT-ATs? And there, I mean, yes, you get the little look at them if you go to the Star Tours at uh, Walt Disney World Resort, you know, the whole front facade, they do actually have an AT-AT out there. And that's pretty cool, you know, for somebody who grew up on the West Coast and didn't took me a while before I got to the East Coast to see Star Tours and see an AT-AT. That was cool. But it's, it takes it to another level when you actually uh, get into Rise of the Resistance and it, there's just so much going on and it's 
I, I can't wait to, and again, you're talking about the rewritability factor of this. I cannot wait to do it again here, hopefully pretty soon. Well, and again, another, another Disney trick that they employ so well is kind of the, the gradual reveal of a scene. They do it with, you know, forcing you into the tunnel and then, you know, you kind of open up into galaxy's edge. So it's slowly revealed to you as you're walking through and they do the same thing on this attraction where you're coming around a corner uh, and coming through this doorway. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the room with the ad ats kind of opens up in front of you and you have to crane your neck all the way back to be able to look up and, and see the underbelly of them. Uh, they really mastered kind of the, the drama uh, that is generated by that kind of a reveal. And they use it a number of times like this in the attraction. For instance, that last room that we're talking about with the Kylo Ren animatronic, you're not only coming into the room, but you're kind of spinning around. So you go through this arc and by the time you're done, then all of a sudden you see Kylo Ren standing there. So uh, it's, it's a dramatic reveal in its own right. Oh, definitely. I, I was starting to think that that's when it was going to end. And then you get Kylo coming in again. And it was just incredible. Yeah. And then kind of the, the big finale of this attraction, well, it's it's kind of the uh, uh, kind of the penultimate uh, ending is the fact that you then go into this into this room uh, where your cart will lock into a mechanism and you see the battle raging outside. You see kind of out the viewport, you see another drop ship kind of come off the bottom of the Star Destroyer and take off. Um, but it was a complete surprise to most of the people that I was riding with that there's actually a drop component to this attraction as well. Uh, what did you guys think when when the uh, escape pod that you guys were in dropped off the bottom of the Star Destroyer? Oh, it was it was awesome because you at that point again it's like you're living in Star Wars because that's what would happen when you're escaping in a escape pod you're gonna drop and then you're gonna go and uh it, it was awesome to be able to really be in the thick of the battle at that point you know and it's also so interesting the way they're able to do that again it's a trackless car you're locked into this drop elevator essentially what happens and uh the feeling of it though it's it, it's re it's actually really smooth and it doesn't you know, i think you drop something like 10 feet or whatever but yeah. you, it doesn't necessarily feel like like when you go on tower of terror or mission breakout or whatever i mean that's a drop you know if you're yeah, going well, yeah. you know this is a drop and you you feel that little slight weightlessness but it's it's really quick and and then you just, and then it's like you're going, you know, as the, you know, like you said, that with the the drop of the uh, escape pod, essentially, and then it would take off. You, it it, it feels like it, everything you would expect it to feel like. Yeah, and I think that's an excellent description of it because my concern and not knowing until you really ride it what that drop's going to feel like. There's a lot of people that don't like a drop attraction. Um, and it's going to make them feel uncomfortable or, or frighten them. And even for the smallest kids, you know, there's the gasp that you would hear when you first drop. But it almost it was interesting because it kind of felt like you dropped and it kind of felt like the back of the car dropped a little bit lower than the front. Um, but it catches really quick and it's very smooth, as you said. Um, and I didn't hear anybody. I didn't hear anyone start crying. I didn't hear any of the small children start crying. It was kind of an exciting little uh, moment where you know they caught him unaware, and then all of a sudden you're flying off, uh, kind of toward the planet of Batu, uh, where you make your crash landing, and then there's kind of a, a post-show scene uh, as your vehicle kind of detaches from the escape pod, which has crash landed and and makes its way into the resistance base. Um, 
what was your experience with uh, with that when you got to finally get a chance to check it out, Tom? <laughs> you, you know, I mean, the whole thing start to finish, you know, it was just this amazing experience. You, you get there at the end and, and you know, there's that, you know, the, the resistance crew there to like, you know, cheer you on. You made it They're They're actually are kind of cheering. At least I, that was our experience. I don't know if yeah. you guys are the same, but they're kind of yeah, cheering. You arrived, you guys got there. We got you, got you back safely or whatever. And, you know, so glad you're here to help bolster the resistance and it just it felt like a complete story and you also get kind of a nice little message from finn there at the end he kind of takes Mm -hmm. it upon himself to usher you into the resistance uh which is cool and like i said i thought the performances by all the actors that participated in this attraction were wonderful i felt like it was like a film quality experience oh without a doubt it was like walking in to a star wars film and the cast members really made it because they interact with you as if they are part of a Star Wars film, not a cast member assisting you with the ride. Mm-hmm. With the length of this attraction, too, when you talk about start of show to end of show, I mean, if you just think about it, uh, you know, it's it's pretty long. It's about the length that you would have, like, let's just say an episode of the Clone Wars or whatever. So if this was like an episode of somewhere, some television show disney plus show that uh, focused on the resistance in between the last jedi and the rise of skywalker i mean this would be a full complete storyline that could happen within it and you know would it, would it I, I think it works as that yeah I, oh definitely i would not argue with that in the least and uh it's really kind of cool uh, the whole area around both the loading and unlo- well not loading and unloading but the the entrance to the queue and the exit of the queue kind of in the resistance portion of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, it was cool just walking through there. Even on days where I wasn't riding the attraction, you could tell who had just come off off of Rise Mm -hmm. of the Resistance. Uh, Just people with shocked looks on their face, still trying to process it, um, you know, talking about how blown away they were. And that is not something that uh, a lot of people get to experience within a theme park. I, I think that a lot of rides are just that, they're rides, right? Um, whereas this, there's so much going on that you really can't process at all. And, and it takes probably multiple rides to, to, uh, you know, get your head wrapped around everything that just occurred. I don't think the smile left my face for about two hours after I got off of the ride, to be honest, <laughs> I, I got there early and went myself because I didn't want to the kids to deal with uh, the morning that we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah, I think but, I um, think this is a perfect segue into that the the boarding group process. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what your morning was like the day you were gonna ride the attraction? Yeah, w- w- with my morning, um, which my wife is a little irritated after seeing my reaction video that I <laughs> shot for, uh, just so that she could actually see how I reacted. Uh, though I did have to make a promise that if it was at all possible, I would not actually go into galaxy's edge unless I had to. Uh, And luckily um, you you didn't have to, you could do rise with resistance without actually going into galaxy's edge proper and seeing the Falcon. uh, Cause my wife and kids wanted to see my reaction, seeing it. Uh, But um, I got up at uh, four o'clock in the morning (laughs) I uh, took the uh, the first bus at 5 a.m. I uh, got there about 5.15, and uh, there was a uh, horrible thunderstorm that uh, luckily I ended up getting under the awning, and uh, I got lucky with that, um, or else it, it would have been a very rough day. <laughs> this is all sounding very familiar. 
<laughs> but um, got into the park. They opened at about uh, 6.15 or so, maybe a little bit before that. Um, I, I Talking with people in line that had already done it, uh, they said go back a little bit further because the Wi-Fi signal is not the strongest right at the gate. Mm-hmm. So go back a, a little bit uh, down the street to get a good signal. Um, got in. I don't remember what boarding group I was, maybe 17, either 17 or 27, somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, and I got on the ride by, I got off the ride by 8.30. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. It bears noting for people that maybe aren't as familiar with Disney that uh, typically, you know, every attraction at Walt Disney World is going to have a standby line that you can just walk up and get in. Uh, those tend to be the longer waits. I think even... Um, when we were there over Christmas for the flights of passage, the primary Pandora attraction, it was typically two to three hours um, of waiting in the standby line. But they usually also offer fast passes, which are kind of you, you can do three of per day for this particular attraction. It's going to be a tier one. You can only do one of those. Um and that, that will get you kind of the ability to uh, bypass the standby line and get on the attraction much more quickly. They were not offering fi- uh, fast pass for either of the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge attractions, neither Millennium Falcon, Smuggler's Run, uh, and certainly not Rise of the Resistance. I have to believe that the reason that they went with the boarding groups for this is because they wanted to ensure that no one was taking um, taking up any of the reservations that were available who either didn't plan on being in the park or wasn't capable of getting to the park. Uh, so th- with the boarding group process, you actually have to be physically in the park in order to join a boarding group. And everyone who is in your group needs to be physically in the park, um, which is what this whole process was about. And surprisingly, correct. I mean, I-, I think when you guys both went, the park was opening at 7 a.m. officially, correct? Right. Yeah. Oh, I, was I was yeah. We actually. They, they also changed the process. I, am pretty sure by the time you went, the process yes. was changed. Yeah. Which I went. I went the very first day when they had changed the process. Oh, the first lucky one we you, went. Tom. <laughs> no, actually, uh, it it allowed us to sleep for about another hour. Well, yeah. Because, that, 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 because we knew that we, we look, it's not gonna. They're not gonna let you go until. So here's. Uh, like you, Casey, my plan originally when we were heading down there was to get up at like four in the morning, take the bus at five, be out there, you know. Um, however, knowing that they had changed, they were changing it because they had announced it, that they were going to change it for the next day, that uh, you weren't going to be able to actually get a boarding group until the park officially opens at 7 a.m. We knew we had a little more time to get there because we would easily be in the park. So uh, we ended up getting there somewhere a little after 6 a.m. is when we eventually got there. We're in the park at 6.20 or so, 6.30. And then it was freezing, so we looked to go into a shop where it was warm. And then it was really interesting to watch everybody because, you know, again, like as you had it, Casey, as soon as you got into the park, you could start trying to get your boarding group. Now it was like we needed to wait for 7 o'clock to go, and then everybody is on their phone, refresh, 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 trying to get into a boarding group. And uh, I, I just took myself off the Wi-Fi. I'm like, I'm going to try my take myself off the Wi-Fi and leave my wife on the Wi-Fi and see which one works for us. I was able to get through quicker. I got boarding group 36. We were on the attraction by we our boarding group was called by nine nine ten in the morning. I think is what it was. Yeah, I kind of wish that it, it it had been the other way around. I, I'm glad because I got to experience it and I, I definitely got to experience it. 
but I, I do feel bad for my wife because she she bit the bullet and just stayed with the kids and brought the kids to the park so that she made sure that I got on it where mm. if it had been the new process, we could have gotten the kids up and she would have been able to go on it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, certainly I don't disagree with the fact that they've moved it to where the boarding group uh, does not open until the official park opening. Um, not everyone has the advantage of kind of being up to date on the day-to-day changes to the process. So it kind of gave people an opportunity, you know, maybe who weren't super familiar with it to know that they have to, you know, be there by park opening and and then they could hop in and do the boarding group. Uh, And it also doesn't penalize people that have the small children or or maybe have issues where they can't get up quite as early. Um, And by the time that we were actually going, I mean, again, the the park open had been moved to 6 a.m., uh, but they were also doing backup boarding groups at that point. So you could get into a boarding group after the initial, typically it was like 100 to 120 boarding groups that were in the guaranteed portion. And then anything over that, you could get a boarding group. And if they got to that point, then you get to experience the attraction, um, which was which was nice because they were getting into the upper, like I said, upper 100s and even into the low 200s by the time we left. Um, but... By the same token, you know, there was still a benefit to getting to the park earlier because you got further back into the park before they stopped you. And so you could get standby on Millennium Falcon Smugglers Run or into Doc Ondar's without some of the weights that you'd have to deal with if you were farther back in the pack. Um, no, definitely. I, I had the same experience as Tom. I had a really good cell signal um, and had actually read that people were having more luck off the Wi-Fi network. Um, just because of some of the load that that the crowd was putting on the Wi-Fi network within the park, or it sounds like possibly just that strength of the Wi-Fi signal uh, closer to the uh, to the tap styles might have been part of it as well. But uh, I had no issue getting a boarding group. But there was a group of people right next to us. We both got boarding group 38. We were called. Uh, I want to say it was like 7:45 ish. Um, and we were done with the attraction pretty early. So, uh, it was, it was a great experience. The the second time was a total fluke, but yeah, I mean, uh, I cannot express enough to people. If you are planning a trip to Walt Disney world or Disneyland here after January 17th, I believe it is Tom. Yeah. January 17th, I, I believe as a matter of fact, uh, as of tomorrow, January 8th, from what I've read, they're starting to do some, uh, cast member previews of, uh, rise of the resistance. So if you know a cast member, uh, you might want to hit them up and see if you can join their boarding group. or work on your face. Yeah, I think it is the, eighth, cast the 15th. Member. They're doing the cast right. member previews. Right. Nice. And it's nice that they're doing that out there. Uh, certainly, uh, it was, it was kind of a loss to not get to do that at Walt Disney world, but, uh, it is well worth your time. Uh, even with kind of the early wake-ups to to get in there and and to get a chance to experience this attraction, it was getting very difficult toward the end of our trip. Uh, by that first week of January, um, I believe that they had moved the park opening back to 7 a.m., and the initial group of boarding groups was gone within two to three minutes of park open. Um, so clearly people yep. had got caught on to how to get the boarding groups. Um, but, yeah, I can't yep. imagine... At 7.05, getting a backup Definitely. boarding group. When you went, it was a much busier time of year um, yeah. than when me and Tom went. Yeah. But um, the, one of the, the things that I, I personally think is really good that they changed the way they're doing the boarding groups is by the time the official park opening, when I went, the boarding groups were already gone for the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you didn't know to get there early, 
you were out of luck. Yeah. So it, it is good that they kind of moved it back because of that so that everyone has a fair chance chance at it. Yeah. Here's the interesting thing about, and cause we're, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you, you're looking at what Walt Disney world is doing for boarding groups. And that's fast. I, 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 we discussed this many times when star Wars galaxy's edge opened at Disneyland first and how it was going to be kind of a proving ground for what was going to happen when it opened at Walt Disney world. And I think that, you know, Disneyland is kind of getting to see what's happening at the Walt Disney World Resort and looking at these boarding groups and how early they're going off. Now, here's what's going to be interesting about that at Disneyland now is now, now think about the population plus how many annual pass holders are, what the difference is from uh, from Central Florida, essentially, to what is Southern California, how many people are within an hour's driving distance or maybe even a little more that can get there at you know, four in the morning, five in the morning, whatever the case may be. I don't know how Disneyland is going to be prepared for this. And I wonder if we might find out in the next couple of days that they might do things slightly different. I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to find out. Yeah. Yeah. That, that wouldn't shock me at all. I'm actually kind of surprised that um, they haven't done a, a hotel exclusive like they did mm-hmm. Uh, with uh, the opening of Galaxy's Edge, where if you stayed at a Disneyland hotel, you'd get a, a guaranteed spot on Rise of the Resistance, uh, like they did with uh, with the opening uh, of Galaxy's Edge. Because, um, yeah, that, that is going to be very different because Disneyland has a lot more locals uh, that right. go than uh, Disney World does. Well, I was looking at some numbers before just knowing we were going to come on here because I've been thinking about this over the last few days and, and thinking about our experience going through the boarding groups at Walt Disney World. And, you know, if you just look at the breakdown of, and this is all of Central Florida, okay, there's 17 counties, there's 8.2 million people approximately, according to Wikipedia. Um, Southern California, it's 24.1 million people, you know, within, that's just within a couple hours driving distance. Uh, as we all know, Disneyland is driven much more by annual pass holders so they can go there and just show up for this. They don't, they're not looking to necessarily spend a weekend or a week or even just a whole day. They can show up and even go there and, and then go to work later if they want to or whatever the case may be. So I, I'm really going to be interested to see how Disneyland handles this and, and see, how it, see how it shapes up. And I, I was thinking the same thing as you, Casey, that I'm surprised we haven't heard that uh, Disneyland Resort, you know, there's only three resorts that are, are actually officially tied to, to Disneyland, that there hasn't been some sort of exclusivity uh, tied in with that. Uh, just, just for the yeah, record, it, Common it, Core it Math. It is an availability issue. <laughs> yeah, Common Core Math would tell you that eight million and twenty-four million are about the same if you round them properly. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> so maybe that's what Disney's looking at. We don't need to change the process. It's basically the same number of people. Um, yeah, and, and to the point with Walt Disney World, I was a little bit surprised that there was no exclusive access for. Uh, for really any groups, uh, certainly not anyone staying in a in a Disney World hotel. They did not have it available for uh, extra magic hours at all, uh, although they weren't really doing extra magic hours during the trip uh, when I was there because it was basically 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. every day. But, um, you know, I get that they have a lot more hotels and a lot more guests that would be eligible for that, and they didn't want to shut out people who were maybe annual pass holders uh, near near the resort. Um, but it will be interesting to kind of see how that evolves. The other thing I think that they were doing a very good job of was that they had sandwich boards kind of up at the Skyliner stations um, and some of the other kind of transit points that would take you to Hollywood Studios to let people know 
you know, if it's nine in the morning and you're thinking you're going to head over to to uh, Hollywood Studios and burn your ticket for the day to get in there just to find out that Rise of the Resistance is already booked up, they had those signs up that basically said, we regret to inform you that, you know, um, that all the boarding groups are taken for today and you won't get a ride unless you're part of one of them so that people weren't taking the trip to the park just to find out that they couldn't ride the attraction that they were going there for. That's definitely good. I, I it was all over the parks. I didn't realize it was uh, outside like that as well, which is definitely a, a good thing on, on Disney's part uh, to try and limit who's there as well to the people who really want to be there. Yeah. Right. And it was always accessible on the app as well. Uh, the, my Disney experience app, which uh, checked, I was checking many times throughout the trip because we, thought about trying to go back and do it again but uh, as we were getting closer and closer to christmas to the busier time the uh the boarding groups even the, the secondary boarding groups were uh going out well before we could muster up another enough energy to get up there early uh, again so we like you know there was a couple times we thought we might do it but when we looked we're like oh they're already gone <laughs> so we're, like, okay, we're not gonna bother i was waiting to click on the uh on the stat the land status and just have a laughing face come up you know a video of someone laughing so hard <laughs> right. they're crying yeah you're dreaming but yeah i think uh, i think that'll wrap it you guys have any last thoughts about about the attraction or uh you know what your recommendations would be for people who are looking to go down there and experience it or out to disneyland in california and experience it uh, it's definitely well worth it even if you do have to get up like we did it, it is the greatest attraction i've ever been on and i i don't think that's my star wars bias i honestly believe it is the greatest attraction disney has ever done and if you do want to go definitely uh visit uh, lucasfamilytravel.com uh or give me a call and uh get you set up make sure you get the, the best offer available for you and uh work on getting those reservations for you like uh, ogus nice normally i'd say shameless plug but i'd say as the, as the sponsor of the podcast that that's completely in line with what we'd expect so <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say that if you're planning on going to the Disneyland Resort to check out Rise of the Resistance, and everything we've just said is complete garbage. It's really terrible. It's all hyperbole. It's not good at all. You don't want to go. Uh, please stay away. Uh, no, no, seriously. It is. I, I, I I, I want to say everything that Casey just said there, that it, it is a, an amazing attraction, the best attraction I've ever been on at any Disney park. It's spectacular. If you're a Star Wars fan, you definitely want to do it. Even if you're not, uh, you're going to enjoy this attraction. There is so much going on there. It, you know, again, waking up early, it can be tough, but it, it will be well worth it when you as we talked about, everybody who walked off this attraction, smile on their face, not comprehending what they just saw, it, it just blows your mind completely. Yeah, and I'd say that it's as much, it's not just the experience that you have, um, and certainly videos are not going to do it justice, pictures aren't going to do it justice, but getting to see the other people that you're with on the attraction and their reaction to everything, um, it just, it, it's incredible. And you could just walk through that area where people are getting off the attraction and listen to what people are saying. And, uh, that's all that you need to hear. Uh, when the hologram comes up for the next five minutes, uh, even on the shuttle, I could hear people trying to figure out how that worked. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and it's just it seems so effortless on the attraction so certainly would recommend it uh definitely check it out we're gonna probably uh, gonna have to uh, defer the rise of skywalker conversation until another time uh because certainly this uh this was a meaty subject on its own but we'll definitely look into getting to that next week or the week after uh tom casey thank you guys both for coming on and joining us and i do want to just quickly say that we are going to be doing a rise of the resistance travel mug giveaway i'll be putting information on social media about that so go check that out and uh, we'll do a drawing for that at the end of the month and uh, give that to one of our listeners so thank you guys again for coming on thank you you guys are my favorite uh, star wars podcast out there so uh very uh, very thankful to be able to get on and talk about something that uh, we all have such a passion for yeah really thank you for uh, making time in your schedule to come on casey no problem and Tom, as always, uh, it just wouldn't be the same podcast without having you on. So I'm glad you're back in the saddle, and uh, and uh, we will be doing this quite a bit more in the future. Looking forward to it. I love being on the Jedi Temple Archives podcast, Rob. Yeah, and why don't you, uh, Tom, why don't you go ahead and tell folks how they can find you in the Hyperion Adventures podcast? Sure. I think I deserve a shameless plug somewhere as well, don't I? Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, you can uh, check out uh, the other podcast that I do. I do with my wife. It's a Disney podcast. It's called the Hyperion Adventures Podcast. We talk about everything Disney, including Star Wars and Marvel. But we talk about the the movies. We talk about the parks, Walt Disney World Resort. We're in Southern California. We talk about the Disneyland Resort extensively, Disney Cruise Line. Uh, And if you want to find us, we're pretty much everywhere you get podcast however the best place to find us is on our own website hyperionadventurespodcast.com and if you want to follow us on social media we're very active on social media we are on twitter at hyperion podcast facebook instagram and pinterest at hyperion adventures podcast terrific and uh for any of you folks who i I thought what tom was going to get to when he was saying if you hate the attraction you have a miserable time to send an email to me at uh, jtapodcast at gmail.com he did not do that i'm very thankful but hey if you want to go ahead and shoot us an email tell us what your thoughts are on the attraction or uh kind of what your hopes are for the attraction uh if you have not yet experienced it and uh i'm very much interested to hear what people's take on it is Uh, i know for me personally it was it was an experience that i won't forget anytime soon i'm looking forward to getting on it again uh certainly if you want to uh communicate with us about anything star wars related you can find us at that email address as well as on social media we're on facebook twitter instagram and pinterest at jta podcast and that's going to do it for this week so check in next week uh we've got a number of guests lined up throughout the month of january i'll be releasing information about that on social media kind of as we get closer and uh, we certainly still have the rise of skywalker to talk about so there's plenty to discuss with that and uh, thank you guys so much for listening have a great day and may the force be with you